You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Um, Chuck, I know you had an eventful week last week. Um, Maybe you can enlighten us about your travel adventures uh, in Oklahoma. I did. Yeah. No, that was (laughs) eventful, is I guess one way to put it. Um, So I was, I I went to McAllister, Oklahoma, which I I want to talk about in depth because I I really loved McAllister. Um, and I'll just say when I, when I rode into town, um, I looked around, I thought, this is my place. Like this is, uh, this is the, the Oklahoma version of Brainerd, um, nice. my hometown. Like I, I know this place intimate <laughs> in mm-hmm. an intimate way. Um, yeah. So I do a lot of flying and, uh, never had this happen before. Uh, I pulled into the airport and when you pull into the airport, you have to put your credit card into the, uh, the, the meter thing for parking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got out of the plane, or I mean, got out of my car and walked into the airport and went through security. Uh, when I go through security, I'm a clear member, which uh, that might sound kind of elitist to people who don't fly a lot. It, it's like, it was like 50 bucks and I get to skip, you know, the long line before you go through the screening where yep. it goes back and forth. Um, I get to skip that whole line. So I basically use my, my fingerprint, my two fingers. You can also do your retinas or whatever. But uh, basically, I go up there, scan in my boarding pass, put my two fingers on, ding, you're Chuck Marone. And they just let you skip the entire line. And Whoa, that's high tech. Yeah. When you travel every week, it, it's a big deal because uh, there are yeah. times occasionally when, you know, despite my best intentions, I'm running a little short of time. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's saved me a couple times. So plus it, it just, uh, it's, it's very convenient to not have to stand in that line for half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get on the plane, uh, I fly to Tulsa. And in Tulsa, I had scheduled to rent a car and drive to McAllister. I got in Tulsa at like quarter after 10. And uh, so I was scheduled to be in McAllister about midnight or a little after 12. Um, got up to the rental counter, uh, National. I always use National as just quick and, and, you know, they've got me on file and everything. And uh, look for my driver's license. I don't have my wallet. Uh, winds up, I left my wallet sitting on the front seat of my car after I had scanned in my credit card at the parking oh, place. No. So it's 10 after, it's like, you know, quarter after 20 after 10, uh, at night. Um, I, the, my first instinct was to try to talk the national people into renting me a car. Like, yeah. look, you've got my license on file. Like it's scanned in, like it's right there. Like I had to give it to you to become whatever, you know, cause I can, with national, you can just go and grab a car and drive out too. Like they yeah. just, you do this little scan at the end. Um, so I'm like, you've, you've got my license on file and there's a, well, our policy is we have to have a copy of it. So I got a manager there. Mm-hmm. Manager said the same thing. I said, okay, I actually, <laughs> Last year when we bought the house, I had to scan in my license and send it to the bank. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. She actually had a front and back copy of my license. I'm like, look here, here's a scan of my license. Um, is this, you know, it matches the one you have on file. Clearly it's me. Oh, the other thing I didn't say, I actually have my passport too. So I travel with my passport okay. just in case I need it for a backup for some reason. Mm-hmm. So I'm That's like, you, yeah, I'm like, you clearly know it's me. I rent from you all the time. You have a copy of my license here on file and I'm showing it to you. Will you rent me a car? No, we have to have your physical license. And I, I, I said, like, why? And they said, well, what if your license was revoked or isn't current? And I go, okay, hang on. <laughs> yeah. so I, I log into the DMV website from Minnesota. Oh, my gosh. And I enter in my license number, and it says, you know, check your current license status. It pops up, and it shows it's current. There's no revocations. There's no problem at all. Nothing. Yeah. She Still wouldn't take it. No, can't do it. Um, <sighs> what if you get pulled over? And I said, yeah. well, what if I drive out of here? What if I had my license, drove out of here, and lost it in the first five minutes? Would I have to abandon the car or bring it back? Yeah. Like, no, that's yeah. that, that would become my problem, not yours. They wouldn't do it. So it's like uh, 11 at night. I, I also ran back in and tried to because I thought maybe I left it on the plane. Mm-hmm. Or if, you know, like it fell out of my pocket or something on the plane. Um, Delta was all closed down. So it's, I went to every car rental place in the airport. None of them would rent me a car. Oh my gosh. It's 1130 at night and I'm sitting there in Tulsa going, I have to be two hours away from here in, in a little over eight hours. Yeah. And there's no taxi that's going to take me. I don't have any money, right? Like, I mean, that's the other thing is like, I, I left yeah. my wallet. So I did not have, I usually have a backup credit card and I didn't have it in my bag. Mm. So I have, I have no cash. I have no money. I have no way to get anywhere. And it's 1130 at night. So, um, I did a post on Facebook and I said, if there's any strong towns, people <laughs> around, I know there's a lot in Tulsa that could help me out, maybe get a hold of me. And then, uh, as a last thing, I found the, the number for the contact that we have in McAllister mm-hmm. and I was going to call her and leave her a message on her, what I assumed was her work phone that like, Hey, I totally screwed this up and I'm not, I'm not going to make it. And this would be the first time that I would have had to cancel yeah. an event. Uh, it wasn't her work phone. It was her cell phone. Oh. And she has a, 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 a young, a young baby and was up apparently with it or, or between feeding and, and trying to get back to sleep. And the phone rang. She answered it. And I told her what was going on. And she said, I'll pick you up in six hours. Oh, so wow. poor Michelle uh, is her name. She got up like super early after not getting a full night's sleep. Drove all the way to Tulsa, got me, brought me all the way back to McAllister. So where um, did you stay that night? Oh, I, 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 I have... Um, my credit card in Priceline. So I actually booked a hotel, like a, oh. a really cheap hotel right next to the airport. Okay. And yeah, I was able to walk to it actually. And I, I had a choice between two airports and I chose the really cheap one because I figured there'll be more lax about the having to have ID and, uh, you know, having yeah. to have a credit card for incidentals and all that. And sure enough, the dude was pretty, pretty chill about it. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> Nice. I stayed there the next night then too. And it was the same guy. And he's like, oh yeah, we, we're good. Um, hmm. So they were cool. But they, they came and picked me up and drove me all the way to McAllister in the morning. 
we had a fantastic day. Um, we had an event uh, uh, in the morning, an event at lunch, um, and then did a curbside chat in the evening. All of them were very well attended. Everyone was very enthusiastic. I let up, met a lot of members, which I, it's funny because a little town like McAllister probably has more uh, Strong Towns members per capita than just about any city in the country. It was it was really cool. Uh, these are some cool. very yeah some very plugged in and enthusiastic and, and really smart people. So were there some public events or was it a more private group? Uh, the morning, uh, the morning was a private group. It was just a conversation. And then the lunchtime thing was a, I think invitation only. Oh, okay. Uh, it was, uh, for the, the public health, uh, I can't remember exactly what the name of the department is, but it's the Oklahoma public health department. They're essentially spending the, uh, tobacco settlement money. Right. Yeah. And so I gave a neighborhood's first talk, uh, amongst that conversation that they had at lunch. And then in the evening, the curbside chat was was open to the public, and mm-hmm. it was we had a lot of we had people drive from all over the place to get there. It was it's pretty cool. When that was all done, then uh, another very nice woman drove me uh, all the way back to Tulsa to my little hotel at the airport, uh, gave me some money because it, it was like I was worried I didn't have enough money, you know, to get, get gas to get like if I had That's lost my food. wallet. Yeah, like I I couldn't get gas in my car to get home even from the airport. Yeah. So uh, she gave me, I mean, they were just, these were some of the nicest, kindest people that I've ever run across. And I just really feel like Christmas cookies for everyone this year. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad um, you made it. And was your car broken into when you got back home? That's what I would assume would happen if there's a wallet sitting out on the dashboard. No, you know, it's in the airport and the airport parking ramp's all dark. And I mean, okay. you would have had to gone and looked in my car window to see what was in there. But well, that's good. no. And I got to say, uh, McAllister, like I said, it seemed a lot like Brainerd to me in terms of the size, the scale, the, the position they're at in their kind of evolution yeah, you know, it's a town of about this, maybe a little bit bigger in population, um, but you know, kind of just as run down in the ways that Brainerd is run down, and the opportunities in the way that my hometown has opportunities. Mm-hmm. It was really cool to see. Uh, I, I think they have a level of entrepreneurship and a level of kind of local activation that you know we're maybe just getting to. We're maybe a few years behind them. But, uh, boy, they had some neat spaces that people had recaptured and kind of worked incrementally to improve. And I was very, in, I was very inspired by it. What, what a great little town full of really cool people. And this week, thankfully, no events or no traveling. I'm sure you have events in your life, but. <laughs> oh, we had an event yesterday. Um, no, yeah. It, how was your birthday uh, weekend? It was fun. Um, had a really nice yeah, time. It was your birthday. It was oh, my yeah, birthday. birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I have this. Uh, event. Yeah. Well, growing up, um, it was always cool to have the birthday on the last day of school. So I, I always had my birthday party on the last day of school. You could just pencil it in nice. at the end of the year because uh, my, you know, it's always this point in time. My, my wife is September 3rd. So we kind of wind up having like a party to start summer and then yeah, Memorial mm-hmm. Day for for my birthday and then. One at the end of summer uh, on her birthday, which is right around Labor Day always. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we had a we had a nice time. Uh, it's it's softball season, so we had a practice this weekend, and my daughter had a uh, the oldest had a scrimmage, which is kind of fun, mm-hmm. and uh, had a couple bonfires, and just a yeah, a really good time. Last week we had a ton of new members join us, so I want to acknowledge and welcome and thank those people. Stacy Champion of Phoenix, Arizona, Zach DeBoer of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Angela Eikenberry of Omaha, Nebraska, John Moyle of Overland, Missouri, Andre Mikulski of Tampa, Florida, Dylan Parker of Rock Island, Illinois, William Ray of Ocala, Florida, Jonathan Stevens of Dallas, Texas, Ellen Stewart of St. Paul, Minnesota, and Samuel Vance of Carmel, Indiana. And that's not even all of them. Those are just the people that were okay with uh, having their names publicly acknowledged. So thank you to everyone who joined us in kind of a, a big week last week. We're still kind of trying to figure out why all those people came came around, but we're happy. We hope it continues as a trend. We know why. We just don't know why in a surge, right? Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So thank that's you guys pretty... for being members. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, every now and then, you know, we get that little spike like that, and it's, it's very affirming. We're going to have our member drive next month, and, and we hope any stragglers out there, we can, we can get you in at that point. But, yeah, it's so, so appreciative, really. So today you published an open letter to the city of Springfield about a particularly dangerous street um, that we've actually covered before on our website. And I just got finished sending that letter around actually to city of Springfield staff and and news outlets and things. Um, Why don't you tell us about what inspired that and what's, what's going on in this letter? I've kept tabs on this street because I was in Springfield, Massachusetts back in December of 2014 and got a a great tour. One of our members, Stephen Schultes, lives there. He's been on the podcast a a couple times. And this is the home of Dr. Seuss, uh, you know, Mulberry Street and and the whole thing. I just – at the time I was there, you know, my kids were uh, kind of in the – advanced Dr. Seuss book age. Mm-hmm. So Mulberry Street was always one of our favorites. And, and I got to walk along the actual Mulberry Street, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things in the city is this library. And it's on the street called State Street. And State Street is your typical urban strode. Four lanes, two in each direction, really fast traffic, wide lanes. But the thing that's distinct about this is that on one side of the street, you have the library. And on the other side of the street, you have these two beautiful public buildings, which in the middle of them is this parking lot. And it's essentially like the library parking lot. It used to be a a beautiful church, but the church got torn down and, and now is this parking lot. Mm-hmm. And even when I was there, you could see people just walk directly across the street to the parking lot. Um, there's a, a signalized intersection 275 feet up the street. So if you time it, it's about two, it's about two minutes, 20 seconds walking. If you hit the light at walk right when you get there, it's like a three or four minute delay, you know, typically, um, as opposed to just walking right across the street, which is, you know, 40 feet and you're at the parking lot. Yeah. So a lot of people just walk across the street the city put up this decorative fence and then put up these shrubs to kind of frustrate that. Mm-hmm. But people just walk around them. I mean, it's, it's silly. It's like putting up a gate on a, on a road and then everyone just drives around the gate. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, you just stand out there for five minutes and you see lots and lots of people going back and forth. It's something that happens all the time. At, at the same time, you have cars coming through there really fast. Sadly, and I mean sad is an understatement, a tragedy, is like a couple of weeks before Christmas. This little, uh, this family, uh, it was actually a mom, uh, her niece and her daughter were walking across State Street the night I was there. And uh, were struck by a car. Uh, you know, driver uh, hit them, uh, and the 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 daughter was killed. Um, the the niece, my understanding, I, I know they both got they all got taken to the hospital. Um, the niece, my understanding, has long term uh, complications from this, and of course, the mom is uh, going to be forever traumatized uh, about this. Yeah. Um, since then. We've written about it a couple times. I wrote about it that night, and uh, we've written about it a couple times. Uh, there have been protests there, people you know, out there at the spot with signs, uh, trying to petition City Hall to do something about this. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows this is a problem. There have been other people that have been struck and hit. There have been other people killed, I believe. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of, of multiple people getting hit here, um, people trying to cross the street. And so... People have been asking for something to be done. Uh, nothing has been done. And mm. I got a, I got a, a email a few weeks back from someone who was there who just took 20 seconds of video of people walking across the street, you know, something that happens all the time. And, you know, this, this woman and a little girl dodging cars, um, you know, standing in the middle of the street. I included the video in the, in the thing I wrote for today. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is this is enough. There have been a couple high-profile court cases recently, one out in Los Angeles where the city settled uh, with a family. Uh, their daughter had been killed in a very similar situation. There was a, a swimming beach on one side of the street, uh, parking on the other. Uh, the city had designed the street to be really fast traffic, essentially give drivers all the cues that nothing to worry about here, just drive as fast as you want. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a, a girl gotten killed and the city settled for nine and a half million dollars in a lawsuit that was that was brought a wrongful death lawsuit in New York City. There was a similar one that had gotten uh, gone to the appeals court and the appeals court had upheld a 20. Uh, it was a 20 some million dollar verdict uh, that the city, well aware that this was a they had a dangerous situation, uh, had a lot of. Uh, traffic collisions, a lot of people getting hit, yet they did nothing, uh, mm -hmm. that the city was liable. And this is kind of a new trend. I, I think in the past, cities have felt a, a certain amount of immunity if they would just follow accepted industry standards, if they would just uh, stick to an adopted plan, even if the standards were horrible and resulted in a lot of death, and even if their plan was despotic and ignored you know stuff, they could always fall back on the fact that well we 're just we 're just doing what everybody else does you know this is the mm -hmm. industry standard we can 't do anything differently there's there 's enough now pushback on the industry standards and there 's enough awareness in society uh, and there 's enough really engineering type uh, people and, and documents pointing out that, hey, even the AASHTO standards say, use common sense in, in urban situations like this, that it's, it's become indefensible for cities to, to kind of ignore the safety of people outside of a vehicle. Mm -hmm. 
So I said, here's what we're going to do. I hope that this doesn't happen, but it's very likely that someone is going to get hit crossing at the library and State Street in Springfield. When that happens, if someone wants to bring a lawsuit against the city, I will serve pro bono as an expert witness. I am willing to travel there at my expense to testify, to uh, be part of a lawsuit that would, you know, in a punitive damages kind of way and award damages to someone mm-hmm. who has been struck and, and injured or killed uh, by this really bad despotic design. In lieu of that, uh, I'm also willing to. Hopefully, it uh, wouldn't happen. Well, we hopefully, it wouldn't it happen. It happens. Yeah. But I think it's inevitable that it will happen um, yeah. if nothing is done. done. Uh, in, in, in lieu of that, I'm also willing to work with the city of Springfield on how we can calm traffic through this section so that people can actually safely cross the street. What could be done to make this safe for people to cross? And I'm, I'm more than willing to spend the time I would spend as an expert witness instead actually spending it to make this place safe for everybody. Mm-hmm. So today I published an open letter to the city – uh, the mayor, city council, senior staff, as well as just to the community there in Springfield that, hey, I, we haven't forgotten about you. We're still working on this. And if there's someone who is ready to bring a lawsuit, who has suffered an injury, uh, we're on your team. We're going to do this. And uh, city of Springfield, if you want to avoid what could potentially be a multi-million dollar judgment against you, what, what really should be a multi-million dollar judgment against you, mm-hmm. uh, Let's work on this. Let, let's fix this. Let's actually acknowledge, you know, you've already acknowledged you have a problem. You put up the little fence. Now you're kind of ignoring it. Let's uh, take the next step and actually slow down traffic and make this a safe space for people to, to cross. Amen. Amen. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping that that makes its way around Springfield. And also this is very applicable, um, I'm guessing, for a lot of intersections and crossings in towns all over the place. This is not an unusual phenomenon at all. So take a give that a read um, and you will probably find something that you recognize in your own town no matter where we, you're from. We see this everywhere. I mean, even in my hometown here, I had one of my council members say, well, we, we have the, a five-lane strode through the middle of town. It's nasty. Cars drive way too fast. It's really dangerous to cross. Um, I had, you know, we've been having this debate, and actually it's it's not really a debate anymore. The council has decided, and the state DOT is going forward with a, a five-lane replacement. Um, we tried to get it narrowed to three. I actually came up with a plan for two lanes uh, mm-hmm. and with some bike lanes and some other improvements. Uh, those were all rejected, and the city council stuck with the five lanes through town. Actually, I had one of my council members say, it's not hard to cross. You know, you just have to walk to the to the the signal. It's not a big deal. Uh, the signals are spaced like three blocks apart. Um, there's some place where there's, you know, there's not a – you basically have to walk 2,000 feet out of your way to get to a signal. Um, it's, it, it is looking at the city through the eyes of a driver as opposed mm-hmm. to someone who actually crosses and, and – you, know, you can see it in my city, even though we've done our best to depress the number of people who actually walk. 
Yeah. Uh, in a place like Springfield, lots of people walk and, uh, you have very, you have low rates of car ownership, uh, compared to the rest of Massachusetts in this neighborhood in Springfield. So there's a lot of people out walking. Uh, it's just, it's a problem that can't be ignored. So we'll hopefully have Chuck and Steve Schultes, who we mentioned uh, is a resident of Springfield and writes for us occasionally. Um, we'll have those two and maybe another person on our Strong Talk episode this Friday. Um, we'll have more information about that uh, published on Friday. But that's just a short uh, video conversation where we chat about issues like this so um tune in on our website to strong talk on friday if you're interested or if you miss that you can always watch that later on our youtube channel chuck what have you been reading or listening to lately oh i i got this fascinating book and it actually i was kind of i didn't find it that good in the first chapter and i stuck with it uh because i had read a prior book by this author um the book is called Homo Deus, and it's by a guy, and I'm going to butcher his name, Yuval Noah Harari. Um, the, the book is Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow, and it's basically a, a look into the future of mankind, what, what changes are happening, what are the kind of range of possibilities uh, I, I typically don't get into these futurist books. You know, I, I find them to be uh, the, the way that you kind of find, like when you look back at the 1950s drawings where they had us in jet cars by the year 2000 and, you know, living the Jetsons life, mm-hmm. I, I kind of find that we're not very good at it, pretending what the future is going to look like. If I'm going to read something like that, I'm just going to read fiction yeah. where, you know, you, you get a, 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 something that's admittedly a, a fantasy in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to read some non some nonfiction futurist to try to pretend what they think. But the the guy wrote a book called Sapiens, which was a history of the the past, uh, explaining like how mankind arrived at this place. And I I I have found so many deep insights from that book. One I one I go back to all the time that just kind of shook me uh, that I keep referring to. Mm-hmm. He he talked about how humans are the only animal species to have jumped the, the, uh, the food chain. So we used to be more like in the middle of the food chain. You know, there were, there were creatures mm-hmm. below us and creatures above us. And then all of a sudden, in a very short period of time, we jumped to the top. So there wasn't like thousands of years or, or hundreds of thousands of years of like slow evolution where we went to the top. Um, we just went to the top and kind of upset the entire, uh, you know, the entire system in this very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's a really good way to explain the disruption of humanity, really, in, in the evolutionary process. He is taking those kind of insights and applying them to the future. And I, I just got to tell you, I can only I can only do a chapter at a time because it just blows your mind, and you have to spend like hours thinking about it because mm. uh, it's so good. Uh, he talked about just like the, the chapter I just finished was about, uh, the, the melding of humans and intelligence, like with machines and genetic engineering and some of the ethical issues with that and, and how we will change and evolve. 
And he, he points out very succinctly, like, you know, we, we can pretend that we know the questions that we'll be asking and the ways we'll evolve, but it's not like you'll just be faster at reading. You know, it's yeah. not like you'll just be faster at learning or faster at recall. You'll actually be at a plane where you'll ask different questions. You know, you look at like dogs and cats and you figure like the range of emotions that they have and the, the ability of them to ponder their own existence and where they're at in the world. And yeah. you compare that to us and you see that there's this like huge chasm. Like we are able to contemplate things that they're, you know, presumably just not able to. That will be the difference between us and, you know, future humans uh, in some, you know, worlds where we essentially enhance our brains either genetically or through technology. And so mm -hmm. why would we think today we're any we're, we're going to be able to grasp the kind of questions that they'll be able to struggle with? And I, I find that to be scary and liberating at the same time. So that sounds like a really interesting book but also a little bit yeah scary <laughs> I, yeah I well it, it, you is know is it long yeah it's long <laughs> but okay. you know we we look at like um you know chimpanzees which are like our closest genetic relative we share something like 98 percent or 99 and a half percent of our dna with with chimpanzees um yet you know any communication that we have with chimpanzees is always comes after years and years and years of, of slow teaching and training. And, and even people who work with chimpanzees will say, you know, they have the cognitive ability of, uh, of a toddler or an adolescent, mm -hmm. which is not to denigrate chimpanzees, but is just to put it in the context of, of humans. Imagine if we are chimpanzees someday to, you know, whatever cognitive species, uh, we evolve into that, that Whoa. is a freaky, yeah, that, that is a freaky, uh, thought process, you know, hmm. and okay. the idea that it would, you know, the idea that you would share 99.8% of, of genes with whatever thing this is, uh, you know, um, is, is, is just shows you what a little bit of change will do. Um, one other thing that I struggled with a lot this weekend, cause I, I enjoy a good hamburger and, um, I grew up on a farm and, you know, we always, we always cared for our animals. Um, you know, we, we were not a, we were, we were closer to, especially once later on when my parents became teachers, mm -hmm. uh, as I, as I was older, my, my parents went back to school and became teachers. Uh, this became more of a hobby farm. Um, it was, it was a food farm for a while is how we ate, mm -hmm. but it was never like a factory farm where we were in production to, to sell. So we, you know, had, you talk about free range chickens. I didn't realize that there was anything else yeah, yeah. <laughs> for quite a while. Um, grass you know, fed beef. Yeah. Grass fed beef, all that. Um, but still, you know, you, you have a certain sense of, uh, you know, where your food comes from, but also, uh, I, I, along with the respect and, you know, I, I think decency, that you have towards the animals, you also realize that like, we're going to eat them, you know, like yes. we're, we're raising this chicken and we're going to eat it and we're raising this cow and it will be our food. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was, it was fascinating in this book. They talked, he's talked about, you know, the, the machines taking over 
and um, you know the the whole singularity thing. And I, I'm not sure if I buy into that. Uh, I am kind of in the Kunstler way, kind of a yeah, maybe the world will get there, but I'm a little more contrarian. Um, mm-hmm. But the the takeaway that I took was was this said, how would they treat us a a lower life form? Or how would a more evolved human treat us like a lower life form? And they said, it would probably treat us, you know, a good model of this is the way that we treat life forms slightly lower than us, um, which is what, you know, cows and goats and sheep and chickens really are genetically. Um, And that is, you know, uh, not quite. (laughs) That's a crazy thought. Yeah, that's a crazy thought too. So, if you want your mind blown up and you want to struggle with a lot of uh, crazy thoughts, uh, this book is really good. It's it's worth your time. All right. I'll consider that. Well, we should wrap it up for today, but we'll have another awesome podcast on Thursday for everyone. What's coming out Thursday? Uh, one of the ones that you recorded a while ago. You probably don't even remember it, um, but the conversation with Emily Washington. Uh, I remember that. It was me uh, asking uh, – I was just going to say silly questions. It's basically me like um, I think probing uh, the unknown with her. So it was kind Mm -hmm. of fun. I I enjoyed it. I I hope you like it. Cool. All right. Well, have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back with another podcast on Thursday. Take care. Can't wait. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.